Today's show is brought to you by Vinyl Me, please. Join the Record of the Month Club at www.joinvmp.com forward slash holy backward. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 142nd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City and I got my man Sage chilling. Uh, this is the first productive thing I am doing. Uh, I, I was quite hungover today, watching nothing but King of the Hill and uh, eating greasy foods. So, you know, we're here out r- right now and, and we've been talking a lot of King of the Hill uh, fanfic before the podcast started, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but you know we're we're ready to talk about some ball. Huh? Who who do you think uh who do you think Hank Hill would like be a fan of? Like I he definitely so they're in Texas he definitely would not fuck with James Harden. No 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 no. I think he's a big even though Dirk is a foreign player I think he really would respect the shit out of Dirk Nowitzki. I think he liked Tim Duncan until he left and then moved on to Dirk. But by the time Duncan left, Dirk was washed. Maybe he's just a Spurs fan. The Spurs do seem very Hank Hill. Like Greg, uh, no, Greg Popovich is Hank Hill's favorite player. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyone that has some great uh, King of the Hill fanfic, send it over to the Holy Backboard uh, on Twitter, and we'll both we'll both get a giggle out of it. For the Trailblazers this week, uh. You know, excuse the cliche, but no laughing matter at all if you're a Blazer maniac. Uh, what was hopeful to be a 3-0 week, 2-1 and one at the bare minimum, Portland stubs their toe. 1-2, uh, and two, they... Dang it, Bobby. <laughs> Dang it, Bobby. They really shrewded it. I mean, to another show reference, but they had a five and one road trip heading into Memphis. They go up by 16 on the Grizzlies in the first quarter. And uh, it all kind of fell apart in that second and, and fourth quarter where the Grizzlies, I think combined to score something absurd, like 70. I know they scored 41 in the second quarter. Um, and they scored 38. They scored 79 points in two quarters to bookend um, the half and the you know in the final um, quarter of the game. They beat Portland 120-111. Mike Conley had a career high night. I believe he had 40 40 points. Uh, Portland then followed that up with a overtime loss. Uh, much drama, much controversy. 129-121 uh, to the Thunder that capped OKC's perfect 4-0 stretch over the Blazers this year, paralleling Portland's 4-0 sweep of the Thunder last year. So pretty odd how, how that happens. And then Portland saved face, uh, beating the the hapless Phoenix Suns 127-120. Score was not as close um, as the game really was. Um, you'll take it. And Sage, overall... The Blazers, it felt like they were playing, you know, incredible basketball coming out of the All-Star break. They had beaten the Warriors prior to that. Again, after the Toronto game, they had beaten Charlotte. They were 5-1. and one. And 
just after going one and two this week, Portland has now dropped from third, or excuse me, from fourth to, to fifth. So right now, 40 and 26 tied with the Thunder. But as previously, previously stated, there is no tiebreaker there. And, you know, the Rockets are are surging. They, they're eight and two in their last 10, one eight in a row. Um destroyed Boston in Boston, destroyed Toronto in Toronto, um, took care of business against the the 76ers and then the Mavericks on the road um, this afternoon. And they are now 41 and 25, and it is going to be tough to catch them just now that they look like the team that they were last year when they when they had a league-leading record. Um, and then you're looking at behind in the rear view. Thankfully, your Pelicans knocked off the Utah Jazz. Uh, Portland is two up in the loss column, but the tiebreaker is likely gone. I know the teams had split both games this season, but division record is the next tiebreaker. And Portland, with that loss to OKC, is now just 4-9 and nine in the division. The Jazz are 6-7, and seven, so Portland does not want to get tied with Utah. And those pesky Spurs and those pesky Clippers are just three games back of Portland in the loss column. The Spurs have the second best home record in the entire NBA. And nobody forgot to send Patrick Beverly, Doc Rivers, and Daniel Gallinari the memo that they were supposed to tank after trading Tobias Harris because all they keep doing is winning. Spurs, five straight. Clippers, four straight. Portland sees both of those teams this week on the road. Sage, what... What pissed you off the most this week? Let's start there. Well, like, we look like assholes talking about, like, dissecting losses this year. But as you've come to, like, this part of the season and record matters and there's such a thin line, a thin margin for success, it's like, this is why these games that we should have won but dropped are biting biting ourselves in the ass. Irritates me the most, but if we're talking about this game... We gotta let, we gotta do something to stop good and star players from just getting absolutely biz against us. Mike Conley got a, his career high against us, man. Like, it wasn't, it was just a pick and roll defense that we weren't defending well at all. We let Mike Conley get in his bag. We, our defense, the way it's situated is, just exactly what Mike Conley is looking for. We, Go under on screens, so he's just wide open to to, to shoot the three. Our, our bigs aren't getting over enough, and if he turns the corner, he's got a, he is one of the most lethal mid range jump shooters. Mm-hmm. Um, hits that mid range, and he's really strong at finishing around the rim. It, what was most, I think, concerning for me watching that is Memphis is they've won three straight. They are eighteen and seventeen at home. 28 and 40 long ago, their visions of any playoff hopes were extinguished yet. They wanted to win this game more than the Portland trailblazers who at the time had their eyes set on the two or the three seed. That's unacceptable Sage. And I don't want to hear the excuse that it was the last game of a road trip. I don't want to hear the excuse. It was fatigue. Um, I, I just don't buy it. I think it is absolute bullshit, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I heard the excuse when we lost to Miami at home. Oh, you know, we had, we just had too much time off between games. You know, it was a seven day layoff, and you know, you know, the guys guys were rusty. Well, well, what is it? Do you have too much time or or, or not enough time? Because 
I don't buy it. Yes, the Trailblazers travel more miles than any team in the NBA, and I don't think that should be taken lightly. However, every team plays 82 games. Every team plays 41 at home and 41 on the road. Aside from actual plane mileage, it's pretty, you know, consistent. I will say we get boned on rest this year. Of course, we travel the most miles, but we did get screwed over on like road back to backs and stuff like that. But your point is still. Yeah, but on this trip, there were no back to backs. There were two morning games, so essentially it was you were done by noon, so you almost had a day and a half before you were playing the next opponent. And the Blazers, with the additions of Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor, and Evan Turner was back for this game, they could easily go 10 or 11 deep. There, there was no reason for, for them to be tired other than, than the mental aspect of the game. And it showed the Blazers were mentally tired, and that's what worries me because that is not the sign of a great team. The Blazers are a good team. They are not great, and for a team with hopes and aspirations of getting out of the first round in the West, I think you have to be a little bit better than good. I don't necessarily think you have to be great to get out of the first round, but there is a a sweet spot in between, and the Blazers are teetering on that in that Memphis game. I'm telling you, Sage, it, it took the wind right out of my sails. Because it reminded me so much of of last year's team. That team that won 13 games in a row and just kind of flopped the Mm. rest of the way. They went 5-12 or 5-7 over their last 12. They completely took their foot off the gas pedal. And I wholeheartedly believe that their play affected their performance in the playoffs against the Pelicans. They were not sharp. They were not laser focused. They were not mentally prepared for the postseason. They mm. thought they won their 13 straight. They clinched their, you know, home court advantage on the final game of the season. You know, it took the final game of the season. We had lost four straight leading up to that game against Utah and they were not ready for what the Pelicans had in store for them. So when I go on Twitter and I see people saying, "Oh, come on, five and two is a great road trip. You would have taken five and two at the at the you know at the onset." Absolutely, you know we were hoping for four and three at the best, but I would have also said I would have been pissed off if we were five and one going into Memphis. Yeah, expectations change once games go by. So yes, in the grand scheme of things, five and two is fantastic. But when we wrapped up, when we got those wins against Boston and beat charlotte a game that honestly we would have lost a year ago you know to lose against the grizzlies that are playing for nothing i mean mike conley got hurt and came back that game to body us expectations change man like when we win those games five of uh, five out of six it's like okay we should in theory body this team that should be tanking and we didn't and the reason i was you know, so upset with that loss is because five and two doesn't cut it right now in the Western Conference. You have Golden State and Denver leading the pack. Um, they have wiggle room to blow games like that. The Denver Nuggets lost at home to the Pelicans, a game they should not have lost. And and I heard that as another excuse. Oh, teams drop games like that all the time. Milwaukee lost t- to Phoenix. The Bucks have a three or four game lead over the Raptors for the one seed. They have even a larger lead for the overall best record if you're factoring in the Western Conference. Um, there's there's no worries for Milwaukee. They're fine. They 
they took care of business earlier in the season to give themselves this wiggle room. Portland has no wiggle room. Mm-hmm. It's because they dropped games to Washington, you know, Miami twice, um, Sacramento, you know, Minnesota, and now Memphis, Dallas twice. I mean, Portland has done this to themselves, and, and that's why I just get so frustrated that that they drop a game like this. And to me, it, it's almost as if the not everyone, but it feels like the majority of the fan base doesn't hold the Blazers to a high enough level of play. Like the, I think the expectations need to be higher for this team. And maybe it's because everyone's just okay with like being a, a five or a six seed every year and getting to the first round. Like that, that's, that's not enough. Like we, we need to get out of the first round. Our, this is a really good roster roster on paper. So if you play it on paper, I'm taking Portland against basically any team other than golden state in the Western conference. Well, and it, think, think long-term about it. Dames and Venus is in his prime currently. Do you think he would want to play for a winning team? And wouldn't you want that winning team to be Portland? So your once-in-a-generation point guard just thinks, you know what? I love Portland, and I also can win in Portland. Let's sign this max extension. If we're, if we're mediocre, that puts doubt in people's minds. And do you really, with how the media has been so powerful and i know it's weird that we're broadcasting talking about this team and playing about the media but the media is so powerful that representatives from agencies can sway the general public so much do you really want that shit to happen to us with damien going to la going to where whatever city that shit's gonna suck so just for our sanities let's win some more games and be better than the sixth seed I mean, absolutely, and especially for 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 if we're talking Dame specifically, he's gonna want to get out of the first round. He's gonna want to erase that performance from last year as soon as possible. And you know, I'm not really blaming Dame for this week. I mean, God, he put 51 up on the Thunder, and it wasn't good enough. Like he he didn't get enough help. But uh, I just think overall, it feels just like some losses are acceptable and to me there are definitely schedule losses over the course of 82 games you cannot win every game i'm aware this is not a 60 win team i you know so the self-awareness is there for me as a fan in regards to this year's portland trailblazers but some losses aren't acceptable to me that was one of them and i just feel like there there needs to be just a little bit more accountability um you have a team down 16 points you literally have three quarters left on a seven-game road trip. Where was that killer instinct? Because to me, Memphis and Oklahoma City, both of those felt like playoff games. And Sage, we failed We failed that test miserably. Well, Memphis shouldn't feel like a playoff game. It should feel like a dominant team taking over a team that should be losing. But we gave them hope. That, I said Memphis felt like a playoff game in terms of their style. Like they're always going to be grit and grind. Um, Mike Conley provides you know a really tough matchup. One of the best players we have in the league, Avery Bradley. You know, DeLon Wright. Like the, the energy. Yeah. Like in terms of Memphis, pushed Portland to meet their level of intensity and energy, and Portland didn't match it. Well, you've. 
you've explained this on the podcast, but like those guys that are on their one year deals or can get, or have a player option, it behooves them to play their asses off. And when you give them that opening to like have a win and play your asses off and make the draft pick worse for the young guy that's super talented that potentially could take their spot, it, it you're just incentivizing this team to play hard. So, like, yeah, everybody's talented. So, you got to have put in some effort in the games because these dudes are fighting for their lo- uh, for their jobs. I mean, shit. Joachim Noah is playing real ball. Do you don't think he wants to get another contract next year? I just think looking at that game, the biggest takeaway for me, like you said, pick and roll defense. Mike Conley had a career high. We also let their backup point guard, DeLon Wright, have a career high, 25 points. They lived in the paint all night long. We could not get a stop to save our lives. And that's really where, like I said, that that took the wind from my sails. And, you know, after losing to OKC, I was like, almost like, whatever. Like, my expectations got put, I mean, even more, reality smacked me in the face Mm. watching that Memphis game. And I know you can say, Dustin, that's just one game of 82. But because of last year, it was the exact same type of loss. And we all know what happened in the postseason last year. So the Blazers now have some making up to do in my eyes in terms of swaying me to actually believe they are going to get out of, of that first round. Like they have 16 games left and it really does start with this, you know, another, they're back on the road again and you know, it's going to be a tough test, but that was another reason why I didn't want to put fatigue on there because if we're saying, Oh, the Blazers are tired against the Grizzlies. Well, you know what? We had the thunder on Thursday and then we have the Suns on Saturday, like there was no more than a day off in between games. So if you're tired for for Memphis, are you going to be tired for the next two? So like it it is a grind, like it is a marathon and it doesn't stop. So we every team's tired. Every team's banged up, you know, knock on wood. The Blazers are relatively healthy, but a lot of teams have it a lot worse right now than the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, basically, you know, let's kind of end our discussion on this game. Um they, they should have won that game, and, and it really put a damper on what could have been a historical road trip. It would have been only the second time in, in uh, franchise history they would have won at least six games on a single road trip. That would have been amazing. So the next game against Oklahoma City, man. First thing I want to bring up. Paul George shot like absolute shit and still put up humongous numbers against us. Well, yeah, he got 20 fucking free, free throws. throws. <laughs> Bullshit. Man. It looked like his shoulder was fucked up because his shot was off. And the 20 fucking free throws, bro. And he, I think he got 10 rebounds as well. Like, he contributed in a lot of ways. 14 boards, 6 assists, 3 steals. He's a bad motherfucker. Um, We lost the game two ways. On defense... We could not box out to save our lives. They got 16 offensive rebounds, and especially in, in the in the fourth quarter and in overtime, it felt like we couldn't get a stop because they would rebound and just put it right back up and in. So that I, I mean, and, that's their shit, though. But Portland, they pride themselves on always winning the hustle board, always being a great rebounding team. 
our bigs did not do their job. I mean, last year, I guess we were so accustomed to Ed Davis cleaning up all of our mistakes. Ed's gone. That means if, if you're in the game, you need to do a, a little bit more. And nobody really, you know, aside from Nurk, who had 17 boards, you know, Chief did a pretty good job with nine. Um, I just don't think the Blazers got what they needed on on the backboard. And then on offense, to me, um, you put up 120 points. On a top three, a top three. 113 in regulation. You shouldn't lose a basketball game. I mean, and it could have been even more. Like we had Damian Lillard score 51 points and we lost the game at home. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I've seen the Blazers score 50 and and we lose. And to me, um, I think this one kind of falls on CJ McCollum. Like he took 24 shots. I mean, let let this sink in a bit. Dame scored 51 points. He took 28 shots. CJ put up 25 points on 24 shots. He was not cooking. He should have not taken that many attempts. Conversely, Nurk only got eight field goal attempts, and he had 13 points, 17 boards. Like, he was beasting Steven Adams. Like, just moving him around like he wasn't there. The team, and I think this goes goes back to last year a bit and this year as well when we were looking at you know roster needs in a way I do think the Blazers need kind of that traditional point guard at least in the backup sense Mm. to feed Nurkic the basketball because CJ is a a strictly a shooting guard and Dame I would say um, leans more scoring guard than than actual pass first point guard and, and that's fine but when you have a big who relies on a guard to get him the ball, you need someone who's going to give it to him at the right place at the right time without turning it over. And he is easily, in my opinion, our second best player. I just feel like we could have slowed the game down a little bit, got even more free throw attempts. I mean, we had 47 to their 32. I mean, so we dominated at, at the line. But for whatever reason, we decided to shoot 41 three-pointers and hit nine of them. We had an advantage down low, and it's very likely we meet this team again in the first round. Nurkic needs 15-plus FGAs. I have no problem with Dame continuing to shoot. Like, Dame was absolutely not the problem. CJ, to me, when he's hot, yes, go do your thing. But when he's not, it just seems like he's dribbling the ball three to five seconds quick pulls on the threes like let's let's reel that in a bit like I, I know shoot or shoot and the only way to get out of a slump is to continue shooting but I think there needs to be some self-awareness there and realize oh I my teammates got a mismatch he's he's shooting 50% right now if it's not Dame it should have been Nurk like that Dame Nurk pick and roll like we should have you know looking at how poorly Paul George shot and how many more free throws we took Sage this it, it's fucking ridiculous we lost this game to put it bluntly. I totally and completely agree that Nurkic is our second best player. But do you think Nurkic knows that? Do you think CJ knows that? And who do you think Terry Stotts and the coaching staff are tell- saying, you're the second best player. You got to dominate when Dame's out. Who do you think they're telling that shit to? That's the problem. Everyone thinks it's still CJ. You see Dame and CJ on all the promotional yep. material. It's vote Dame, vote CJ. And I, I don't – this is not like a bashing a bashing CJ segment. 
he just had a very poor performance and shot, you know, he shot 16 more field goals than, than Nurk. To me, that that's if we talk about unacceptable losses, that that's unacceptable. Like that that can't happen, and that is one of the major reasons why I don't believe in Terry Stotts as a championship level coach because a championship level coach takes takes CJ aside and say, hey, like it, it you're forcing it. Maybe maybe take a seat on the bench and watch the game a little bit. Or, you know, hey, we have a matchup down low. Like, I need you to get the ball to Nurk. Like, he needs to command that team. I think he is too much of a player's coach. And, yes, the guy – that's why the guys love him. I mean, that that's – it's not bad to be a player's coach. But I think he's too much of a friend and, and less of a coach in terms of holding them accountable. I just – I don't think there's accountability in terms – of the shot selection mm. and and by God's sage, our, our shot selection and and that one was was hideous. Like CJ can still absolutely get buckets and deserves a bit of shots, but when, when you're talking about twenty compared to eight or whatever you said in terms of field goal attempts, there is something wrong with that. When shit, our center is putting up top five center statistics. One thing I've noticed and take, I guess, is a bad thing to bring up when Dame drops a 50-burger, but I feel like he's being a little too passive offensively. I looked at it, and the Indiana Pacers' Bojan Bogdanovich has a better usage or more of a usage rate since February than Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard probably needs to be more ball dominant and less passive in regards to like taking the ball out of CJ's hands. Cause I, I assume on some of those shots CJ took, Dame dribbled the ball up or passed to Nurk who dribbled handoff to CJ who dribbled the ball for like 12 seconds and then shot. So maybe Dame needs to take more shots or maybe he's saving himself. But that's a weird trend to see a small forward have a bit more usage rate than, you know, an all-world point guard. But I, I, I think I think uh, Stotts needs to go up to CJ and be like, you're still an integral part of this team, but you definitely need to get Nurk the ball more. I think you're right. And I think it was the... One of the lone bright spots of that performance was, okay, we finally got that MVP type of performance from from Damian Lillard because on that road trip, he only scored over 30 once, and that was in, in Boston. So it's great that the Blazers were winning in other ways. Dame knew that. He was a facilitator. You know, other guys, you know, Rodney Hood and Charlotte – uh, and as Cantor in Brooklyn, you know, CJ had had a, CJ had a really great performance in Toronto. Um, it was a great team victory in Philly. On the other hand, you don't want Dame to have to feel like he's carrying the team like he did last year. So there, there just needs to be that that happy medium where Dame's still scoring 25 plus, probably 30, but you're still getting contributions in March and in April into the postseason you go as far as your star player goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what we saw in the postseason last year. Uh, they took Dame out, and yeah, they're going to live with Chief. Chief had a good statistical postseason, but that's not going to get it done. 
CJ had one really good game. That was game four. Again, not enough to get it done. Um, we just need Dame, I think, a little bit more in these primetime games. And he is not the reason we lost in Oklahoma City. I think he really met that challenge. I think this week will be all primetime games. I think moving forward, every road game really is, you know, big time for this team. And you look at Los Angeles, New Orleans, and San Antonio. Dame, I think, needs to set the tone and then let others kind of follow suit. Mm. Um, it's either got to be Dame Dame early or, or Nurk early. I just think you have to get one of your, your dynamic start. duo yeah. going because then – it just opens it up so much more for everybody else because those two are already going to get so much attention, but the other guys are just going to get wide open looks and hopefully, you know, they come in and, and knock it down. But, um, completely agree. I think we need Dame to, to up his level of play like he did, uh, against OKC. If we are to make a push for, for home court advantage, because I think it's long-term, what he's done over the past two weeks since the all-star break has been probably fantastic just in sense of saving his legs a little Mm. bit and not having to exert too much energy on the offensive end. Um, But now that we have 16 games left, um, it's getting pretty close to where that, that switch has got to be turned on, turned on a bit and full steam ahead. Yeah. I I definitely do like the, the, what you said about, I think it's get Nurk going early, get CJ and then the, you know, the wings, second and third quarter hot. And then who's hotter than Damian Lillard in the fourth quarter? Who do you trust more than Dame in the fourth quarter? If he's already engaged in the first three, getting his teammates involved, let the man be Dame time in the fourth quarter. I'm biased, but if there's a game winning shot, uh, I trust Dame over anybody else in the entire NBA. I think he's second in second half points to Harden. Dude's a gamer. Absolutely. Why don't put a probably the best asset, or the best player we have in the most clutch situation because you know he can handle it. He's not going to all of a sudden go from the most clutch guy on earth to the like scared. He won't throw scaries. He won't be scared. He's done this shit before. In big time games and big moments, he's overall though we can count on Dame. I'm not worried about Dame. What really does worry me though is, and I don't mean to harp on him, but it, it is CJ. If we look back a calendar month, I think it puts us at um, that Dallas game. It was the first game we had blown a lead going into the fourth quarter. That's 12 games of of a calendar month. CJ shot over 50% from the field four times. The problem, the problem with that is he never shot like 50% or 55%. It's literally feast or famine Mm -hmm. with CJ, like 70, 79% against Phoenix, 69% against Memphis, 60% against Toronto and 67% against Cleveland, or you're getting something like 25% against OKC, 15% against Charlotte, you know, 37% against the Thunder, that, that inconsistency, that, that high variance, that shit is not going to cut it in the playoffs. Like I would rather that we knew CJ was going to shoot 45% every game 
then wonder, is it going to be a 12% night or a 79% night? Like looking at those numbers, like further cemented what I was thinking, but also was like a holy shit moment. Like he's supposed to be like consistent. He's supposed to be a consistent factor, a dead eye shooter. and And it's not coming out in, in the performance on the court. And, you know, we've talked about this before. He plays better when it's catch and shoot one or two dribbles. He makes a move. When he does that that isolation, the dancing with the basketball, those shots from mid are so difficult. And mm-hmm. yes, it's great when they go in, but the degree of difficulty is crazy. Could you do me a favor and name me the in this month or uh, his four best games? Those would be the shooting games. Yeah. I would say they would be uh, no. Just Cleveland. tell me the teams. A Cleveland best possible Cleveland, matchup. Toronto. That's a good defense. Memphis, which he always kills. Yeah. And Phoenix. Such a bad defense that even though they play at a decently slow clip, allow the most a shitload of points because they're so bad defensively. So two pretty good games and then the two best possible matchups for a score. That's kind of weird. And then he got locked up against really good defenses that are slow and lock on shooters. What's also weird to me is in two of those performances, both Memphis and and in Phoenix, he shot 13 times against Memphis and 14 times against Phoenix. Like, so it wasn't just like a high volume. Like he was incredibly efficient. I would love to see, and maybe I'll do this this week. Like, what is the sweet spot CJ McCollum shooting game? Because I think it'd be an interesting way to track like, okay, what does he have to do to be good? Like, is it shoot 14 or less shots at, at a 45% clip or something like that? Because it seems like when in these tough games, he's going to do like isolation for eight seconds and take a, take a really shitty shot. So maybe, I mean, I'm, I, I assume that, you know, the trailblazers are a party track this shit, but it should be an interesting study. I'll try and do it this week. It's, it's just crazy to think about like to me what was cj's best game this year and you can go on out cj's best game this year i mean it's got to be what that milwaukee game early on right or the philly game right those two yeah milwaukee he had 40 i mean again how many threes did he hit 17 of 26 5 of 10 from downtown uh philly no, he had 40 in Memphis. The he first just game likes we, to get biz in Memphis, though. The first game we played in Memphis, again, 16 of 27 from the field. Um, what did he do against Philadelphia? 35 points, 13 of 18, 4 of 7 from 3. So what I can tell you, I mean, Memphis is just its own thing. I mean, CJ and Memphis has been a long narrative of just dominating. That's how he kicked off his career. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So w- the thing that I've noticed, and maybe Philadelphia a lot is absolute trash at defending volume shooters, and Milwaukee very good defense, aw- awful at defending three point shooting. One of the worst defenses at allow uh, at allowing like teams to shoot threes. So maybe we just have to f- get mashed up against a team that is good at defense in theory, trash at <laughs> defending the three point shooters. So as we go into the playoff push, 
shot selection. I think CJ's performance. Turnovers in terms of passing when we... The lazy... Yeah, we score the most points of any team in the half court. I I think that's kind of a a bullshit stat because it shows that we don't push the tempo. Yeah, it it shows that we're risk-averse. It doesn't show that we score well in the half court. It shows that we're risk-averse because we're too scared of Evan Turner throwing an oop to a cutting jig layman and it goes 10 feet too high or bounces off Turner's foot or he tries to do three dribble moves in a row and bounces it off his foot out of bounds. So I would I would add in, you know, turnovers. When when we're passing the ball well and making I would say calculated risks, it's a beautiful thing, especially from the high low. You either get, you know, really great lobs or, you know, backdoor lay-ins. Um, but when we're sloppy, it seems like it is a virus and it's contagious and it takes over the whole team. Um, and we do give up a lot of points off of, of the fast break from those turnovers, especially when you make shitty passes, they come back to haunt you. But last thing that worries me, or I think will d- determine how far Portland goes is their performance of their starting forwards. To me, it feels like Mo Harkless only performs well when he can find a mismatch on defense and then just dunk on them. Just I, I don't trust him up at threat. all. Yeah, I don't trust him at all to shoot a three. Um, He's got one of the flattest jump shots in in the entire NBA. And then Chief Aminu. Um, You know what you're going to get from him on the defensive end, but until he is not our starting power forward, teams are going to leave him wide open Mm -hmm. in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know about you, Sage, but that still scares the living daylights out of me that we are going to lean heavily on his three-point shooting because you also don't really want him putting the ball on the floor. No. So those four factors are going to make or break Portland. Uh, I think going out of the first round, whether they're going home, whether they continue on. What sca- What what worries you? Honestly, and I'm thinking plus matchups for CJ because we become a very difficult team to beat. When CJ and Dame are on, because you can't key on both of them at the same time, you just don't have enough players defensively. So if we can find a series where CJ has a plus matchup and can go get biz, I think we win that series pretty easily. I I have a question for you. Would you rather have CJ have the really good matchup and Nurk have a difficult one, or CJ have the difficult matchup and Nurk has an easy, breezy, beautiful matchup? Oh, man. Because I think that, I mean, I don't think there is a team in the playoffs that sucks defending guards and centers because they wouldn't be in the playoffs. That's a really good question. I would say I still want Nurk to have the matchup because he, if you are able to dominate inside and out, to me, Damien's going to have a good matchup regardless. Mm -hmm. So you, you feel comfortable at the guard position. If he and Nurk are clicking and when they do, this team... It is very difficult to beat. I mean, they they beaten the Warriors that way. They went into Utah and handled the Jazz that way. Uh, Nurk, we, we discussed it last week, arguably the most valuable trailblazer. Yeah. The, to me, the Blazers can win if CJ doesn't cook. The Blazers cannot win if CJ can't cook and he's hoisting up 24 jump shots. 
that is the key to me is the the accountability, the awareness to say it's not my night. I need to get other people involved. But if he's off and it's dribble, 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 brick, and we're not taking advantage of that Nurk matchup, we're going to lose by 20. Mm-hmm. You? It's tough. I mean, that, that, that it's the toughest. I mean, I don't know, man. I because feel like Nurk I, can. I, I, thought, I thought I was going to go CJ plus matchup, Nurk a minus one. But then I remember looking at a box score. Um, and CJ had a fantastic, I think it was a, his string of 33 straight 30 plus games. And one of those was the Miami game back on February 5th that we lost by 10 and Nurk just got destroyed by Hassan Whiteside. He does not play well against Hassan Whiteside when Nurk doesn't play well. It feels like the team doesn't play well. Like the offense can still get, get biz to an extent, but it's all from the the perimeter. Like mm-hmm. Whiteside completely took him out of that game and we we were never in that contest like so i think when nurk doesn't have a good game unfortunately it impacts his presence on the defensive end cj is already probably a minus defender but nurk when he's on his game is one of the best defenders we have true he that plays so much it. better mm-hmm. when he is keyed in and getting getting those dunks getting buckets like he likes to talk shit he likes to get himself going that impacts his game on the defensive end that and Miami, yo, Miami is a tough matchup for, I would say, CJ and Day uh, and Nurk. So having having Nurk just completely go out of the game is awful. We also saw the Toronto game. Mark Gasol gives Nurkic problems. They ran out to a sixteen point lead. Uh, Gasol got business, got biz early on. You know, CJ had one of his best performances. Like he kept us in the game, but we lost. We lost. Yeah. Man, it's t- it's tough, and it's something we're gonna have to really think about. You might have convinced me that Nurk's more important, but you you already knew Nurk. Nurk, I, Nurk I know, important. but like the this in theory, the CJ Dame connection when hot is fucking unbelievably hard to stop. But I think Nurk is more important to the you know the playoff chances for this team. I mean, you look at Charlotte, CJ shot 12%. Okay, mm-hmm. let's bring in Rodney Hood. He has, he's not going to do this every night, but he has the ability to go off. He did. Nurk had a pretty strong game. Like, I just think outside scoring for the Blazers is replaceable. It mm-hmm. can come from Seth. It can come from Jake. It can come from Rodney. Uh, Dame, obviously. There are other weapons that if CJ's not having a great night. There is no replication for what Yusuf Nurkic does for this team. Yeah. All right, yeah, and I, I would much rather have Nurk have the plus matchup. And then you, with Nurk's passion, you get the crowd hyped, you get the players hyped. I don't know. Unless CJ makes the players' knees touch the floor, do, his, do the teammates get hyped for him to take like an eight? second iso offense mid-range shot nah but if nurk dunks it on somebody's head the crowd goes wild i feel like nurk swings the crowd and shit easier or in his teammates and then you know basketball is about momentum and it's about runs if you can pull off a big one because of nurk damn it's crazy to think that cj has gone from consistent to an x-factor in a series 
I mean, it, that's where we're at and that's what we're facing. But back to Nurk, I think Dame, Jake, and Nurk are the three um, emotion changers in terms of the fans when you're playing in, in Portland. Those three guys have the ability. Nurk on defense with the blocks. Dame just doing Dame things. And Jake just the alley-oops, the attacks on the he's basket. He's looking so much more athletic. Yeah, he's... He's definitely a big time fan favorite. Those three guys, I think, get the crowd going more than anyone on the roster. Yeah. Man, I'm still shocked. Ugh, crazy how shit changes, man. Because last <laughs> year, I thought, you know what? Nurk is a really good X Factor. I don't think he'll be on the court much. New Orleans is going to go small, force Nurk to not play. CJ's going to get his because Rondo, in in reality, isn't a good defender. No. And then that's where my mind changed about the whole thing. Here's a question, and it may seem like a stupid one, but give it some thought. Do you think this iteration of the Blazers, let's predict they're going to be in the 4-5 matchup. Throw kind of the other team out of throw the opponent out out of the equation. Do you think they would perform better as the four seed or the five seed? I have my own thought. I feel like they have a kind of underdog mentality. Like we're trying to fuck this team up, take their crown with their heads still on it type of thing. And you see it when they go fucking bananas against the Warriors and shit. So I think they might enjoy the fifth seed more. Because there's that narrative of when, you know, they're, they're the lesser of two teams when in reality it's going to be a one game difference probably or two, or, you know, tiebreakers. And I tweeted this out after we lost, I think, to OKC. And I was like, I think the Blazers might be better off as a five or a six seed because expectations are inherently lower when you don't have home court. Oh, advantage. yeah. They just play much better as the hunter rather than the hunted. The three times the Blazers have had home court advantage since 2000. 09 against Houston. 2018 against the the Pelicans. And we just had it. No, it was it, we've only had home court advantage twice. Excuse me. Neither of those series went well. We weren't able to protect home court at all. The two times we've advanced, Houston in 2014, the Clippers in 2016. We mm-hmm. were able to, in the case of Houston, go down there, steal home court advantage. And in the case of the Clippers, yes, injuries played a factor, but we were able to take game five and, and win, roll off four straight. So for me, I just think they might be better as the five seed. Like, I just wonder if if too many bad memories of last year are still floating around. And what happens if, if they drop a game one or a game two? This team has really not shown any. And I think resilience is the wrong word because they do try and they do fight. But the results have not matched up i mean Mm -hmm. we've only came back one time after being down in the going into the fourth quarter and that was the golden state game and i believe it was like a one point deficit so it doesn't really count this team just hasn't been able to fight back this year so 
if you factor in what happened last year, and if you're a home court advantage team and you lose one or both of your first two contests, do we really trust this team to go down and gut out a game three or game four victory? I don't. I, I see mean, Portland the, the history history says more. we don't. No. So I'm going to root for them, obviously, to get home court advantage. I mean, the statistics say you want it. The statistics say the four seed or the three seed traditionally beats the, the lower seed. And if it comes down to a game seven, you obviously want that on your home court. But we're not statistically. I'm not going to bat an eye if we end up as the five seed. Like I, I think that may give us a better chance. The media, we do better when the media counts us out. We play better with a chip on our shoulder, like you said, as the underdog role. And conversely, if you're able to steal one of those first two games, then you come Pressure's home. Pressures off. Protect, yeah. Then you go home and you protect home court advantage. And now you're the team up three one heading into a game five previewing this week's slave games let's take a quick break from our wonderful sponsors all right everybody welcome back to the holy backboard podcast dustin and sage here getting ready to preview portland's uh i guess it's another road trip this time all against western conference foes we have the clippers on tuesday the pelicans on friday thursday oh yeah, Pelis. Oh, you're right. You're right. As a resident Pelican, Pelicans on Friday and then a back to back against the Spurs on Saturday. Sage, the Blazers are just 21 and 21 against Western Conference foes this season. The reason they're in the position they are in right now is their dominance over the Eastern Conference. Uh, that is a cause for concern, if you ask me point blank. Uh, I, I know everyone's going to say, oh, it doesn't matter. It's, it's regular season, but. I looked at the numbers, and of all teams currently scheduled to make the postseason for either conference, the Blazers are the only one not to be plus 500. And this was at the time of of the loss against Oklahoma City. Since then, Miami has moved ahead of Orlando, and Miami is is sub 500 against the, against the East. But at the time, Orlando was up there, and they were plus 500. So even if you're in the same breath as the Miami Heat, that that is not good company to keep. So obviously the bulk of Portland's games remaining are against the Western conference. And unless you get to the finals, you got to play three series mm-hmm. against Western conference teams. Sage, what, what, what is going on with the Blazers and why can't they, they beat the West. They are oddly enough, you know, split against the, the stacked warriors two two. Down 0-2 to the Nuggets in the season series. Up, they won the season series against the Houston Rockets 2-1. Um, got swept 4-0 against the Thunder. Split against the Jazz. Up 2-1 against the Spurs and Clippers. So you, you look at all those, and aside from OKC, you know it's been very competitive. It's really where you get to the bottom of the barrel. 1-2 against Dallas. One and two against Memphis, one and two against the Lakers, and you're only two and one against the Kings and and the Wolves. Um, there's two ways to spin this. One is if you can't beat the shitty teams, how are you going to beat the good ones? On the other hand, if you're looking at this glass half half full, you're playing well against everyone but the Thunder, who you could possibly play in the playoffs. So you know, don't worry about those. 
those teams, even the Blazers of the early 90s, had their problems with the lowly Sacramento Kings. And the 2000 Blazers couldn't beat Denver to, to save their lives. So there, there's kind of two ways to think mm. about that. Which, which kind of side are you on? We step, we, we uh, play up to our competition and down to our competition. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think, think we underestimate teams. Like, oh, absolutely. In theory, we should beat the shit out of the Memphis Grizzlies. We didn't. We played down to them, but we go fucking ham against the Golden State Warriors because they're the best team ever. That's just a sign of a team that's good. I mean, we, we just a, a good team. I think they just need to be a little bit more more focused. But if we, you know, look at the Clippers. They obviously traded away Tobias Harris, and we have not seen this iteration of of Los Angeles this season, and they've won four straight. They're not a particularly dominant home team, just 19 and 12, but a loss here not only would be devastating, but now you're thinking, we're not out of the weeds in terms, yeah, we'll, we'll make the playoffs, but... Seven or eight seed could happen if we if we don't get our our shit together. Like mm-hmm. this is this is a sneaky tough three game stretch, and obviously, as is the case with any road trip, you want to get the first one. Um, you know, we should be three and zero against this team. The one game we lost, uh, we lost Nurk at halftime and blew a fifteen point lead. But Tobias Harris is gone. Mm-hmm. So who do we have to watch out for? Is is it is it Gallo in your it, opinion? It's Lou Williams, Gallo, and Montrez Harrell is the three people that generate a lot of points like i think gallo's usage rate is insane since uh tobias left montrez is special with the way he hustles and plays hard and then you know the williams you know his steez he's he's been a thorn in our side before i think the the they are one of the worst teams at getting rebounds and defending the post. I think it's time for Nurk to beast. I think it's time for Enos to look really, really good against a team that does not defend the paint well. Because Mont—I mean, shit. Gortat's off the team. It's Montez Harold and shit. Who is? They're Michael Green. Their post depth isn't that great. It used to be very good. Now, like. I think I think our bigs are is going to be the keys to the game because Pat Vev loves loves competing against these elite guys. I I think it really is our post our post uh, talent is just going to overwhelm them. So you said something and I checked it because my gut said it was wrong. Pat Lou Williams Lou Williams does not get biz. He does the not. Butchers. He do- wow. And he's played in two of the matchups this year. Twelve points. from the field um, has not hit a three. He is 0 of 6 from three against the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Portland has done a really good job of bottling him up. And I think when you go on the road, you need bench production. Um, To me, the guy to watch for is Montrezl Harrell. He was a game changer in their victory in Portland, um, especially on the defensive side of the basketball uh, but again, we now have Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor, who we didn't have before. I think Portland needs to get – I think you're absolutely right. It either needs to be Rodney Hood or it needs to be Ennis or even Jake Lehman. We need to have that that 15-plus point bench performance to help out some, some of the starters. And this is a game where I think Dame Nurk pick and roll. Slow the game down a bit, get to the free throw line, and, you know – 
spread it out to your shooters when when they collapse. I don't go gunning for the three. Try to dominate them in interior because they're, they're not the biggest team Mm-mm. right now, especially after getting rid of Boban. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but I think Nurt gets biz. One person to watch for them is who they acquired in the Tobias Harris trade is a rookie, Landry Shaman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he went to Wichita State, uh, has been playing really nice minutes, and we know young guys like to play well at home. They feel more comfortable in their own gym. So watch out for Shamit. I think Shamit and Montrez Harrell are going to be my X factors on the Clippers. I think for the Blazers, we need to really dominate the backboard. Mm-hmm. We got destroyed against Memphis. We got destroyed against OKC. Uh, we need to go back to our roots and, and winning the the glass battle is blazer basketball. I mean, that's always been our calling card for our good teams. And I think it's going to be close. Those games in Staples always are, but I think Dame, Dame's going to go on a mini burst at the end to, to get us that dub. Yeah. I think Dame and Nurk are going to be the guys that just do fantastic. And then I would throw Enos in as a pretty nice X factor in the game. And so Friday, Portland makes their one and only trip to New Orleans to play the Pelicans. I believe Drew Holiday will not be playing. Uh, Seven to ten days, and it was, shit, a few days ago that they said that. Let's let's talk about if he plays or if he doesn't play. This team is playing really hard, and they talk about how they are learning from Drew Holiday's hard-nosed defense and they're really trying i mean i talked about it earlier with guys on one years are really trying to prove themselves well julius is on a one year elf is on a one year all of these guys are fighting for their right to be in this league that is so rare to be and you got to be the one percent of the one percent to play i think if drew holiday plays the team gets hyped if anthony davis plays the team really tries to feed him the ball. So if Davis is in, every player 2 through 13 plays a lot worse. So if Davis is in that game, I feel so much better about the way our the Blazers chances just because those guys stop moving. They all watch Anthony Davis do his thing. And they don't have anyone that can break down the defense. It's all Anthony Davis. To me, once you get into March, you can start looking at must-win games. If Portland wants home court advantage, this is this is a must-win game. And also, it is a chance at redemption to make up for fumbling the Memphis game. It is going to be a very similar contest. You're going to have a team who is kind of down on their luck, not much to play for, but they play hard and they play tough, and they have the ability to beat great teams. You won't see a better back-to-back victories than in Denver and at Utah, which New Orleans did last week. In fact, they are the only team currently outside of the playoff picture in either conference to have a plus rating on their their offensive points per game and their defensive points per game. They're they're plus .2. No other team in the current lottery is above is in the green that they're playing their best ball right now yeah well before drew hurt so that shows that they're playing competitive basketball they're not getting blown out 
Mm. Um, this is going to be a tough contest, and it, it has to be an absolute must. Um, well, we we talked about how they play down to their opponents. All right, I'm going to name the starting five of Drews out. Alfred Payton, Frank Jackson, Kendrick Williams, Julius Randle, and Jaleel Okafor. How many people do you think the normal Blazer fan knows? Three. Yeah. So, if you take that logic and say, hmm, there's a lot of no-names on here, we probably can chill a little bit. That's where it gets dangerous because this team is playing some really good basketball. Like, yep. This, the two, yeah, you're absolutely right. This game is going to come down to two things. Are the Blazers going to come in mentally focused and mentally prepared? And can they stop Julius Randle from going to his left and getting into the paint? Because he has been putting up fantastic numbers he's on the offensive it. end. Yeah. He's killing it. I mean, destroying it. Like, he's, he's really going for that next contract. Oh, yeah. Like, dog, he is the most expensive power forward in daily fantasy right now. He is fucking destroying shit. Consistently getting 30 points. He's putting up numbers. So the fact, like, we have... Alfred Payton can still pass the ball. They're going to run the pick and roll that has really frustrated Blazers, Blazer fans. This is still an Alvin Gentry system. It's still one of the five fastest. Now it's one of the worst defensive teams because Drew's out. But this team plays fucking hard because they follow the leadership of Drew Holiday. They don't say Anthony Davis anymore. It's Drew Holiday is their leader and they're the player that makes the wheel go. This is This is a tough game, even though... Frank Jackson's the starting two. This team is going to play fucking hard. Player that I think will be the frustrating player, Kenrich Williams. People don't know him. He's elite rebounder who can shoot threes at a nice clip. He played, he was an undrafted dude, went from the Sixers camp, Pelican signed him. Dude, Kenny Hustle's legit. My X Factor is Jake Lehman. Um, we were at the last the oh, yeah. game we last played uh, against New Orleans, and it was his outburst that that powered Portland mm. in, in that contest. They put Drew Holiday on him, bro. Yeah. So can, can we get another? It's been a little bit since we've had a Jake outburst, and I'm I'm, I'm counting on it. So I think this is going to be tough. Um, there, there's no way I can predict a loss here. It certainly could happen. Oh, it absolutely it, could happen. Yeah, it might. But I think the Blazers. It's going to be close. It's it's going to be like the Cleveland game, I think. I think Portland's going to get out to a lead, and I think they're going to let their foot off the pedal, and I think New Orleans is going to make it way too close for comfort, but Portland will escape. Do you feel any different if Drew Holiday plays that game? Honestly, maybe better, because we might take it more seriously. <laughs> I mean, it sucks that It I sucks to say, to say that. but yeah, it's real. Uh, yeah, that's a real... I uh, mean... Li- there's that narrative, and it's been fucking played out that Drew Holiday owns Dame. I think Dame would take it more personally if Drew Holiday was there as opposed to Frank Jackson, a rookie from Duke that was a second-round pick. Or Alfred Payton, some guy that's gotten that's on three different teams in three years. So, yeah. I, I think if the Blazers come correct, they win this game. It's about coming correct. To round out the road trip, Portland will face off against the San Antonio Spurs, another team that is trying to catch them in the Western Conference standings. The Spurs, abysmal away from San Antonio, 12-22, and but 
They have the second best home record in the entire NBA, 26 and 7. They have won five straight after that abysmal 1 and 7 rodeo road trip. Sage, why? What is it? I mean, they, they let Pau Gasol go. He got signed by the Milwaukee Bucks. What is it about this team that they play so well at home? I saw the other night Derek White had six blocks, which mm-hmm. tied the San Antonio record. It's This is a very strange team. They had a month, I think in January, February, where they were one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. That stopped, and now they're one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA. They pull their starters if there's even a glimpse of it being a blowout. I think for this team, if we start out fast, Pop noses that his team's old as fuck, and we'll take, take LaMarcus and uh, DeMar out. If they keep them in, they're playing 40-plus and probably producing. DeMar's had a weird season. He was doing really shitty until the All-Star break where he start, and now he's putting up some pretty nice numbers. So this is a strange team. I mean, old as fuck, but they have a genius transcendent coach coaching them up. If it gets close, that's where I begin to worry. I think there are a couple factors that I'm going to watch out for. In the in the last con in the last contest, uh, which was Rodney Hood's first game, he was able to post up their smaller defenders, and he really got going. And I thought that kind of turned the tide in Portland's favor. On offense, can we get that if, if Evan Turner plays? Uh, can we get it if Rodney Hood's in there? If Mo Harkless is in there? Can we take advantage of some matchups? They have some really small guards out there, and Patty Mills, Bryn Forbes, um, Derek White. And then on the other end of the floor, can Portland defend LaMarcus Aldridge one-on-one without double-teaming? What I noticed in that most recent performance against the San Antonio Spurs was for the first time all season, we put Yusuf Nurkic on Aldridge instead of Chief Aminu. And Nurk held his own. And after Aldridge got really good, busy in the in the first quarter, was quiet the rest mm-hmm. of the way. So... If Portland can can defend him straight up and I think just focus because we had them up, we had them down 20 plus points and then we just let Rudy Gay just tee off from three without anybody in sight. And we had to hold on for dear life to beat one of the worst road teams in the entire NBA. Do you think Derek White has a future on this team when Murray comes back from his knee injury? Uh, I think Patty Mills is the one that's going to get moved. I think they want to keep White. He's got that rookie contract. He's he's fun. He's a good player. That backcourt could be fucking scary if it's Jante Murray, White. That team could lock up and put DeMar at the three or something. That could be a scary good defensive team. But Murray's out now, and uh, I think we take advantage. I, I, I really think the X factor is starting fast. It will be a back-to-back. Yeah. I don't think Portland wins. On paper, they are, I think, a superior, a far superior team than the San Antonio Spurs. But for whatever reason, they have got it stuck on automatic at home. They just beat the Milwaukee Bucks at home. Like, they're beating top-quality opponents at home. Um, I think we probably do a good job on L.A., but... DeRozan has been a thorn in our side at home. We've locked him up in Portland. 
Um, I think he's going to have a big night. I, I think the the Spurs just just get it done. Like we're not, we're still even after going five and two, we still have um, the worst road record of the top six teams in the West. So we're still fifteen and seventeen. We're still trying to find our footing. Um, I think this would be one of the biggest wins of the season, but I'm not going to get too greedy. I think if they can go two and one, that's going to set themselves up super nice because the next nine games, only one team is above 500. Five of them are at home. And that one team is the Indiana Pacers without Victor Oladipo. They play hard though, bro. They play hard, but I'm saying go two and one here. There's a chance you could win nine straight Yeah. because if you just focus and, and you take, take care of what's what's ahead of you. So Yes, this week was not what we wanted. I think this stretch right here is the toughest stretch to to uh, close out the season. And then you've got games that you can really lock into. And I know Portland plays down to their competition, but if we're looking for a 50-plus win season, it starts right here on this road trip. So Spurs are your loss. What would be the yes. team that you think would get the second loss if it was like a really shitty week? Is it New Orleans because of the surprise factor? I still think it's the Clippers. They play fucking – we're talking about heart. They play hard. Like Patrick Beverly is that engine right now. Mm-hmm. Like he has got them with that us against the world mentality. Like they're going out there. You know, everyone wants to talk about the Lakers in that town. They want to talk about LeBron, Magic, Palinka, Luke Walton. That is dominating the media. They're like, oh, we share this gym with you too. We're going to make the playoffs. They're the ones that play super hard. Um, I just think after losing to Memphis, it would be just – I wouldn't say unbelievable because it could definitely happen, but it would be asinine, I think, to lose to a team that is you know, 30 and 39 that has had one of the most unique, uniquely negative seasons with all of the factors that have happened. Like They, they have to beat New Orleans. So in terms of difficulty, San Antonio, Los Angeles, New Orleans. I think they go 3-0, but I could honestly see a way that we're bitching about 1-2. and You really think we'll beat Spurs? I think if we start fast, we can. My prediction goes out the fucking window. If it's 23-23 in the first quarter, then it's just, then I worry. But if we start fast, make them de-incentivized to try hard because they're old as fuck. That that that's the thing. But yeah, that in when you talk about the Clippers, Spurs, New Orleans, you're like, okay, this easy, easy dubs. These all three teams play hard if it's close. Like, yo, we're gonna be bumped and bruised after these three games because these teams are going to try and you know take take what the Blazers have and a higher record but yeah man you have any uh, shout outs or anything you want to say to the uh, wonderful people of the Holy Backboard thank you for listening leave us comments give us that five star rating um, we care because you know we, we bitch because we care um, there's nobody that wants to see this team out of the first round more than me. Yeah, seriously. Um, I hold them to a high standard. I praise them when they do well, criticize them when they could be doing better. I am 
I'm a loving fan. I, I just want to see this. This this team is is too good not to get out of the first round. And yes, I know the West is tough, but you know what? Everyone's gonna have a tough matchup. That's just that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. I, I personally think that we have higher expectations when the team's good and then when they suck. If when we're doing holy backboard and you know Dame's retiring and we're gonna we're gonna suck for a while, I think we're gonna have the the lowest expectations and have the most fun. I think that's just how we are as fans. I mean, there, there's expectation on every single game, so we're gonna be looking at their small flaws, you know. But if it's you know Sebastian Telfair and uh, the Korean guy, holy shit, I'm bad. Ha Sun Jin. <laughs> ha Sun Jin. You know, beating the Lakers. I think you and I will be the hypest of the of the crowd. It's just built on expectations. And I mean, when you're a team like Portland, you have expectations. You don't want to have no expectations. That means you're watching your team fucking get excited over a fucking win against, you know, the Suns or whatever. You want to have these high expectations because we have this wonderful all-world talent point guard. Before we sign off, let's let's do this before every episode as we get to the postseason um, prediction on number of wins and who we're going to play in the playoffs. I'll kick us off because I gave you the question. I'm going to give you time to do some quick little <laughs> research. I do think it's going to be Portland and OKC. Fuck. I think the Blazers are going to end up with 52 wins. I think they'll go 52 and 30. Okay. And I would I think, not like I think that. That will get them the home court advantage. I think they will. OKC schedule is very tough. So how, this is could they possibly get it though? If OKC wins division, we couldn't get it because of the. If we had the same record, we'd have to do better than them to get home court. I think we will. Yeah, oh, okay, I'm saying okay. I think we'll do better. Oh, um, Denver's winning that division. Yeah. Oh, true, true, true. I'm gonna say. 50 wins, we play the Rockets, and we win. Because Nurk's a bad boy. So you, what, what seed? Do you think we'll be five? Houston three, OK four, and then up. We wait, can't wait, play wait, Houston. Switch, switch, switch. I don't know, man. This is a tough one. I think we pl- I hope we play Houston, and I think we get over 50 wins. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll, we'll check in. March Man, 17th. I feel like you just did cool, 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 cool. I think cool, you cool. just Jake Peralta'd me, bro. Well bet, well bet. Man, we this is our most TV centric ass uh, podcast. It's all right. You can be my boil. Um. <laughs> wow. You if, love food. I do. All right, you win. Yes. Uh, You're my hype man. If we, if you've listened this far. What are the King of the Hill characters that doesn't I remind you the most? Comment that on our uh, iTunes. And I will be sad if you give me all the bills. Boomhauer. Oh, do you think I'm Boomhauer? I don't know. I love him too much. All right. So thank you all for listening. We're out of here. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go!